Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, looking for my good friend Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, I'm I'm here and doing, doing a lot better this week than I was last week. So yeah, yeah. Good to good good to have you back in in good form, right? Yeah, last week was just like a comedy of errors and you know, expensive house items and and things like that. So yeah, well, just, didn't you lop your finger off? I thought that was part of last week's trip. Quite lop the finger all the way off, but I, I did have a quick trip to the urgent care uh, for them to fix me up but I'm you know I'm back typing away you know nothing can keep me down so. nothing keeps you down no no I know though fingers especially in our in our in our manual labor you know uh, line of work with the tight with the keyboard that can be a problem you know yeah, I know. I'm, you know, we need those voice assistants to hurry up and get here. Uh, yeah, so. good, good, good point. But well, I'm glad you're on the mend. Yeah, thanks. Um, yes, and, I and know that actually kind of leads into what we're going to talk about this week. Excellent. Uh, maybe we'll all have to be typing less because we'll be using AI. We're, we're a little late to this topic, um, but better late than never. And I think it's given us some time to look and see how things have been unfolding since, you know, chat GPT. Uh, took the world by storm at the end of last yeah. year. A yeah. lot of people have been playing around with it, talking about it. We now have new versions from Microsoft and Google. You know, everyone's talking about these specific tools. Before these tools, everyone was talking about the image generation tools, and, and that, those were getting a lot of press. So there's this new wave of, of AI, and we want to talk about that. We want to talk a little bit about the specific tools, but I don't think we're going to focus too much on those. I want to back up a little bit and talk broadly about this new wave of AI and, and what AI means. And neither you nor I are an AI expert. So we've decided to bring in a guest to help us with the discussion this week. We are very pleased to welcome Mechi Kengla. She is the CEO and Chief Data Strategist at Data Products LLC. And she is also the vice chair of CompTIA's AI Advisory Council. So, Mechi, welcome to the podcast. And why don't you tell us a little bit about either one of those roles that you're fulfilling for us? Uh, well, uh, thank you for having me on, first off. Um, it's a pleasure and an honor to be participating in the, uh, uh, the AI uh, committee for CompTIA. We get to share ideas with a lot of really really smart people, much smarter than I am. And so it's always great to sort of meet and engage with them and see what we can bring in terms of supporting uh, the content members from an AI perspective. Great. And uh, what about your, your company? What do you do uh, for your clients there? We're a data consulting firm. And what that means is we stay within the data space, right? And yeah, you think like data, that's everywhere. So what does that really, what space does that define? <laughs> Uh, really, we're around strategy, so uh, data and analytics strategy, data monetization, um, uh, uh, governance, master data management. We're doing building AI models and machine learning models. We're teaching and educating around AI and data literacy in organizations, and we're building products from that as well. Great. Super hot area. That's for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. We've talked like about data quite a bit on the show uh, and, and the, the needs around data that are, that are out there. So I'm sure you are kept quite busy. Um, but thanks again for joining us. We're going to talk about AI. Before we do that, maybe a quick hit from, from everyone on the this latest tool, you know, the, the chat GPT, these new tools that are out there. Carolyn, maybe we can start with you because this is 
getting a lot of tension in your old world, you know, where people are talking about, yeah. okay, if, if AI can write for us now, what happens to the writers? Um, so <laughs> yeah, what are, what are you seeing? Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, this is a big topic of conversation in the uh, journalism world to be specific. I mean, it really affects any content creator, but, um, and in the academic world, I should say that as well. I have two co you know, college age students, and, and uh, so um, we could talk all day about the, uh, the effect this may have on writing papers. But um, in my old world of, of journalism, um, this has been you know, an, a, a nuclear explosion of, 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 of talk among um, those people who are either still in the profession or uh, used to be in the profession. And it's, you know, it goes from everything from gloom and doom to, you know, you know, what be the need for human pe beings anymore? And it's going to take our jobs to um, people who are thinking, you know, how can we leverage this? How can we do and, and a lot of um, journalistic outfit media outlets are already leveraging AI to do some basics like, you know, sports reporting. So just doing a basic rundown of the scores of the day of, you know, in a certain league, basketball, football, whatever it happens to be. That stuff is often generated already by AI at a lot of papers. But when it comes to the more intensive type of writing, investigative journalism, things that we, you know, associate with, you know, some real hard work, um, a lot of those journalists are concerned. And, you know, if you do, and I've sampled it, I've tried it, you know, you type in your little request to chat GPT for them to go ahead and write an article, you know, for you about, um, you know, you name your issue of the day, you know, please, you know, sum up Biden's latest State of the Union speech. Um, and they do, it, the, the tool does a pretty good job. And, you know, it, it's quite frightening. And, um, and still, you know, I hold all hope. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later about job replacement, you know, that there is always going to be a role for, you know, human nuance and, and human correction. And at the end of the day, this is a tool um, and, and, and is not, you know, a, a sentient being. And I guess maybe we can debate that if what, whether it becomes one or not if, uh, in the future. But it's certainly on the tip of the tongue of everybody who's in a content generation job. It's a, it's a, it's freaky, believe me or not. It really is freaking people out. Yeah, Metchi, along those lines with, with it being on the tip of the tongue of everyone, how, how have the questions that you're getting from your clients changed over the past few months as they're seeing the news of this and maybe they're playing with it themselves? Oh, well, they're starting with um, how can I incorporate the key one? How can I incorporate the chart GPT into my organization to make my life much easier, right? And uh, my response is, well, take a step back. You're using chat GPT as a verb. It's the idea of us using Google as a search bar, right? Chat GPT is just one of the products. The idea is the, the, the solution is called lar large language models, right? It's a type of AI or machine learning that uh, is focusing on recognizing, summarizing, translating, predicting, and generating text, as well as other content from knowledge on a massive data set. That's all it is, right? So ChatGPT is a product uh, from this company, OpenAI, right? It's one of these large language models. And we know that there are other organizations like Facebook just recently rolled out Llama, which is their own version. We have Google coming out with Bard, which is your own large language, uh, language model. And if we look through the history of AI, I think it's gonna be really divided into two pieces, right? Pre-large language models and after-large language models. And the reason why this is such of a huge impact is because it makes interacting, conversing, 
uh, with the AI at a much more basal level, right? So previously, when you thought of AI, you thought of, hmm, I have to go write some code or some mathematical functions. It's taken us out of that and lifted us to a space where it's simply having a conversation, whether it's through text or voice that, being, can, that can be translated to text, right, to your point. And so that's why this is such a huge chasm in terms of uh, the trajectory of how we're leveraging AI. Now, the key questions, going back to your original question, the key questions is how can I make my life easy, right? And it's going to be content creation is a key one here. Um, and the limitations, Carolyn, like you pointed out, are based on the fact that it's using information from a massive data set. It's not creating new information. So it's restricted to the information that it has been trained on, on its knowledge base. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of what you talked about there, Mechi, is really going to leverage into the discussion that we want to have here about generally talking about AI and what is it, what does it mean? What are the questions that you should be asking? And so... To get into that discussion, we thought we'd play a little game. Uh, everyone has probably played this game. If you go into a new group and you have to do some icebreaker, one of the most common icebreakers that you do is two truths and a lie. And you know you have to tell three things about yourself and two of them are true and one of them is a lie. Uh, we're not gonna have as much of a guessing game here, but we are gonna try to lay out two truths about AI and then what we think is a lie about AI. So we'll start with a truth that at the at the very fundamental level, the way that we've been talking about AI and a lot of other emerging technologies is that they are enabling technologies. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're typically not going to go out and just procure the technology and plug it in and all of a sudden you're getting the benefits. I think to use the technologies that we're talking about today, whether it's AI, IoT, blockchain, a lot of other things, you have to know what you're doing. You have to know what the objective is. And so you're not just using AI. I think to your point, Mechi, you're using AI to do something, to run your business, to provide a function in your business. And if you don't know the ins and outs of that objective that you have, then AI might not be as useful. So I think that's one of the first big truths that we want to get out there. And I'd be curious to hear what you two think about that. Mechi, I'll let you take that one first. Thanks, Seth. Uh, I'll, I'll jump into that. So in terms of AI as an enabler, of course it is, right? Um, so let's step away from the business world and just think about our everyday lives. How often do we use AI without even thinking of it as AI? How many, how, when was the time you use uh, uh, what is, um, directions, right, on the map, right? To get to where you you do it ubiquitously and not even think about it, right? You're comparing information to find the best loan rates, right? For yourself, you're leveraging some underlying machine learning algorithm there. You're calculating, uh, predicting what uh, your some cost is gonna something's gonna cost you in the long run, right? You're looking, you're going to store shopping, and you're like, maybe I can get this uh, pasta somewhere else for like a dollar cheaper. <laughs> you're pulling up some app that compares it. In baked in this is all advanced analytics, whether it's machine learning or AI in some format, right? And but we don't think about it as AI necessarily. And when when we come to the, in terms of business, it, it's really a enabler in terms of helping us drive efficiencies that we already use in our everyday lives. And you're absolutely right. We can say, where is the AI? And I cannot tell you how many meetings I've been into, unfortunately, with executives that have walked in and said, um, let's paint all of everything AI. And the notion of AI is some magical, yeah. futuristic 
fantastical thing that will come and make everything better, right? And usually the way I try to drive the conversation is I get back to the business, right? What are your main problems? And let those problems and solutions to those problems be driven by something that's analytical, that's machine learning, that's innovative, whether it's through data or not, as opposed to just saying leveraging AI from the sake of AI. AI is also not cheap, right? There are a lot of solutions that are out there for us to implement and use that are becoming better. However, it's still not without cost, whether it's cost of learning the technology, loss of exposure to some risk associated with it, whether it's ethical views, bias and whatnot. It's important that when you're gonna bring in technology, you wanna understand what the cost is and if it's worth it uh, to bring it for the sake of bringing AI or you really want to use it to drive the business in the vision, uh, in the direction that you want to. I love, Mechi, that you focused on the uh, the, the business outcome concept and, and having the, the, the person who is interested, like you said, the executives that you talk to who say, let's just paint everything with AI. Uh, and they're not really understanding what exactly that means um, and to focus on whatever their problem or their um, aspiration might be, whatever it is. If they're, you know, we want to increase revenue by 5% in X department next year, you know, how can AI be applied to that? Now, that's a business problem to solve, right? right. But when I think about it, though, from the perspective and you sit on one of our councils, um, with people who are working in this space all the time, when I think about, you know, the, the technology providers out there who may want to sell, in quotes, AI, um, you know, it isn't really a product. And I think that a lot of providers do get stuck, um, at, just as end users uh, get stuck on AI as some solution that's going to solve everything, um, providers who sell technology get stuck on it being a productized thing like a lot of other emerging technologies, you don't really sell the internet, you don't really sell blockchain, but and you don't really sell AI either. So if you are a you know a company in the channel, a smaller company that wants to get into AI as a business, it's really not about some box that you're selling somebody, but it's really about um, understanding the customer's business outcome. And I think all of that kind of has to be linked together, the messaging from the seller of the technology down to what the customer's expectations are of what that technology is going to do for them. Spot on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. The business output is kind of the underlying thing of this whole first point that we're trying to make about AI being enabling. That What is it enabling? It's enabling business outcomes. I mean, I think that's the direction of strategic enterprise technology in general these days. And so it's becoming the job of the IT pro or the solution provider to make that connection yeah. and to kind of um, maybe pull the reins back a little bit when the executives are coming in and saying, we need AI in here for them to say, well, what do, you, what do you really need? You know, what are your business objectives? Now, here are how we can use any tools that are available to us in order to help you meet your business objective. So they need to have that language and that ability to translate between what the business wants or maybe sometimes what the business thinks it wants and what tools are going to be brought to bear on the problem. Uh, so that's the output side of things and focusing on that output, I think, is the first order of business. But then to get it to all work is what brings us to, I think, truth number two, which is the input side of things. That is, Good AI means that you're using good data. You know, good AI isn't just working magically. It's ingesting a lot of data. And so, you know, companies, I think that are starting to explore their data practices, which is something that you probably found, Mechi, that 
they don't necessarily have all their data really in order. Um, and if you don't have all your data in order, that makes it tough to do data analytics on it, which is what a lot of companies want to do. But it also makes it tough to have AI that's working properly. So, so much of the AI, you know, the chat GPT, the tools that we're seeing today, it's been trained on, you know, public internet. And we're already learning about those limitations. Uh, like a lot of the tools aren't really functioning great on any data past 2021 because they just haven't ingested that information yet. But for a business that might want to say, I want AI to understand my business and tell me what decisions I should be making about products or services, it would have to ingest information about the business. You know, it's not just going to do that automatically. Um, so getting the data in order and then feeding it into AI is really the first step once you're going down the path. Absolutely, sir. So I have this notion, and it's not yet in practice, but I bet it's going to come in the future, about a data value sheet. This is part of the valuation of an organization, right? So when you're looking at the financial sheets, you're looking at numbers, it's going to be a data value sheet. And the reason I say this is the largest, or pardon me, the most successful organizations in the world, if you look at them, they are data companies. Right, data is valued. That's unquestionable. Right, and so part of the ways that organizations are going to start being valued in future is going to be looking at your data assets, how you're leveraging them, the potentials beyond the financials that you have right now, the data value sheet. But that aside, right, garbage in, garbage out. You're absolutely right. So we're talking about large language models, like I explained. Right, is based on learning from a body, very large body of knowledge, which is perhaps the whole internet or so. And so if we have garbage in that large, uh, massive data set where it learns from, garbage is going to be produced because it's not creating something new, right? It's about summarizing, uh, predicting based from that uh, baseline knowledge that it learns from. Um, so yes, data is quite important. One of the key uh, problems you find in the space, in, in organizations is data quality data quality, data management, whether they have ERP systems or CRM systems that are not, have not been implemented quite correctly. And now you have this jointed data from different people using it in different ways. And now they're ready to start leveraging that data to do some advanced analytics. And it's really not there and they have to start again. So creating a great foundation for collecting the right data and cleaning, making sure that there is uh, a good source for it. And it's, uh, a stronghold basically creates a foundation for everything that you do regarding innovation in your organization. Well, I, I don't have much to add to that because I think it was very well said, Mechie and Seth, but I will say I was watching the inimitable uh, John Oliver on TV the other night and he had a whole segment on AI. And to get to your point about garbage in and garbage out, he had one example of a chat GPT uh, request, very benign, requests. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I mean, when I say benign, it was, you know, what is your favorite color or something along those lines. And it crawled through, it was crawling through Facebook pages and social media. And boy, by it didn't take long within 15 minutes, it was talking about Hitler and how Hitler was right. So I, I'll leave it at that garbage in, garbage out. Um, it was a, it was a great example. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think that kind of highlights the, the lie that we want to tell about AI, which is this fear that you mentioned, Carolyn, the thing that makes a lot of headlines that, you know, the robots are coming for all of our jobs, and that AI is going to eliminate so many jobs across the economy. And 
you know, I think there's a lot of nuance to that. You know, we've talked on the podcast before about automation taking jobs or technology in general taking jobs. And there's a long history of the way that technology, whether it's computing technology or manufacturing technology, disrupts the workforce. Um, but that history of disruption usually results in workforce growth. Uh, that, that the appetite for output grows, the need to optimize the outputs grow. And I think that's especially true here in AI for a lot of the things that we've said. You know, AI is working on probability. So it's always going to give you a likely answer. And in many cases, maybe that likely answer is good enough. And so someone that was producing that likely answer before on their own, their job might be at risk. But I think as the appetite grows and as the desire for quality grows higher, we're going to need people that are working with the data to make sure that there's not garbage in, that it's good data going in. And then we're going to need people looking at the output and validating that and making sure that it makes sense. And then we're going to have people that can take really good output and then do something else with it. Um, so there's going to be a lot of new skills that get built. There are going to be new jobs that get created. There will be some jobs that go away. But I think it's a little hasty to say that AI is just going to wipe out huge swaths of jobs and leave um, tons and tons of people looking for options with nowhere else to go. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is what I say to that, right? Change is the only thing that we are sure that is constant, right? And whether it was change from the industrialized era where people were all machinists to when people start working in the office, more uh, office, uh, administrative sort of work, that was a huge change, right? The jobs didn't just disappear, they changed, they morphed, right? Likewise, yeah, the jobs are absolutely going to change. Not just now, they'll change again in the future with some other fantastic innovation when it comes around. The idea is positioning yourself in such a manner that you can roll along with a tie. You can learn new skills, whether it's in terms of doing the same thing that you do, but in a much more efficient manner. So you're spending your energy and your mind where you're truly needed, where that human creativity can be actually implemented as opposed to repetitive tasks that can be done with a machine. Again, think of some machinery in a, in, in a, in a factory. You're not going to be the hammer hammering something. We can create some AIs doing that for you, the repetitive task of stamping things. Now you're moving on. How can I actually use my brain and actually build something that's uniquely my insights can create? Beyond that, I want to touch on something again when we, you mentioned the good data as a part of creating that good data would require new skills. Absolutely. But it is important that when we think about good data, we're not talking just a perspective of what's good and bad, what's quali the quality. We want to talk about representation. And as a woman, a woman of color in IT space, it's important to bring that up, right? So we're aware that most of the people that code are of a certain demographic. And so the data that's trained is usually of a certain demographic and it basically limits a huge part of the population. That means that what the AI system learns it's not really representative of the entire world, but just a portion of it, right? And this can have a myriad of impacts, whether it's implementing social and policy programs that affects us or, um, or making decisions, especially ones that are critical in terms of uh, life. Think of healthcare, for example. So good data is not just about the quality, it's also about representation. Mm. 
That's a fantastic point. I think we could fill an entire volley segment on just that discussion alone, um, that and 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 regulation, which I, I don't think we touched on today. Which we <laughs> we have a whole. I'm writing it down. We got reasons to bring you back here, Mitchie, for uh, for a much longer conversation. But um, I think that your last point there is very well, uh, very well intended and very very well said. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm so glad that we waited a little while to have this. Uh, I'm so glad that we brought you on, Mechi, to talk about this. I feel like we had a very balanced conversation about what's happening out there, and you brought a lot of insights into what this is going to mean for business and what types of things businesses need to think about if they're starting to enter this space. So thanks so much for, for joining us and talking about AI. And as we, as we closed on skills there and talking about job roles, I, I think we can go right into our new segment, Career Spotlight, uh, which is going to look at individuals in the technology industry. And today we are going to hear from Joseph Marchese, who is kind of a career intent story that uh, had some experiences with school that weren't quite sitting with him. But then he found that technology opened some career pathways that were really exciting to him. So why don't we go into our new segment here? This is Career Spotlight. Growing up, school wasn't the best experience for me. It was hard to really stay focused. I enjoyed my hobbies more than I did school. But then something clicked when I saw the opportunities that IT provided, the work-life balance, the remote work, and it motivated me to want to try harder and just put my focus into that. You know, one of the things that excites me the most about working in the tech industry and being able to evangelize a bit about uh, technology as a career is the opportunity that it affords people uh, from all walks of life, people who are not necessarily diehard academics, that does not have to be your pathway and the only way you can enter a job in technology because there is such a diversity of type of job in technology. There are different skills and, and clearly, um, Joseph, this, you know, this individual, you know, has, has found something that is, you know, he's been able to land on um, that was uh, not born out of a great experience in, in traditional school, as you will. Um, and, and I think that's one of the great excitements about it. There are many other career paths and in industries where you just don't have as many opportunities like that, where it's a very strict kind of linear path to what you would do to get into a career. And here that's not the case. So I, I love that. I, I love the story like that. Um, Caroline, I could not have said it better, right? So speaking of my change, right? Change is a key constant. There is a transformation that's going on regarding our education system as well, right? The idea of going to the traditional four-year college path or taking other shorter courses or whether they're boot camps or training programs and getting certifications to get into the workforce. And there are pros and cons to either. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a proponent of one versus the other, right? Each one works for the individual. Now, as we can see here, Joseph was definitely not going to be on that traditional path. But the point is there are opportunities for him to still get in, to get a career, get training, get a career that's stable, pays well for him to provide for his family, and he can have a happy life, right, without actually going through the traditional path. So there shouldn't be um, a stated one path for everyone. IT or technology AI has created a space, right, 
where everyone can sort of niche out the path for themselves. As long as you can do this, uh, you have you can acquire the skills and deliver the, your solutions and your jobs and the work in a way that provides value to employer, you're fine. You can have a, a very good life. And that's fantastic. And what this means is it also opens the job market, right? Yeah. You, to to uh, set up populations that have been historically precluded, right? So we're talking about being able to remote work. Think of a mom back in the, I don't know, not to age myself. When you have kids and you're young, you have to take off time, right, to stay at home. But now maybe you can do something part-time. You can work remotely and still maintain your career while raising your kids. If you're from a population that's disenfranchised, you have opportunities beyond, you know, beyond what you're, uh, traditionally have been available to you through a four-year college path. And that's a great step in terms of providing basic needs for society. It's not to give... So my, my firm belief is not about giving help in terms of social services, but providing the opportunity for people to get help themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I think the complexity and the specialization of technology have given people an impression for a long time that they have to go through an arduous education path. Um, yeah. And I think there is a lot of complexity and specialization in technology, but you can get started um, without having to go through that traditional pathway. And and that's a, a message that we're really trying to push out there. So. Uh, you know, for more on Joseph's story or any of these other industry profiles, be sure to check out comptia.org. And I think that's a wrap for today's episode. So yeah. thank you again, Mechi, for joining us. Really appreciated having your contribution and your, your thoughts and insights. Thanks, Carolyn, for, for uh, another great Bali episode. And thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrea McMillan. So until next time, Carolyn, uh, I think that's a wrap for today. That's a wrap. We'll see you things. And as someone that has a PhD in mathematics that has an adverse path in education, absolutely, you do not need to go down that path. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.